I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with Singaporean industrial designer Gabriel Tan, who's joining us from his new home in Porto, Portugal. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Gabriel. I um, I think maybe the last time we saw each other was when you were in Hong Kong, and I can't even remember when that was. Yeah, I think that was like a year ago. Okay, gosh, it's uh, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it definitely has. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great to have you. It's great to be chatting, and there's a lot of things that I want to talk about while we've got you, but I thought that I might actually go back to the very beginning and uh, chat a little bit about your career and how that started. Uh, I believe that you had a bit of an unconventional introduction to design. I have read that you obviously did your military training in Singapore, the compulsory time, and that it was during that time that you discovered design. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, actually I was in the Navy during my compulsory military service and I also signed on to be like a professional naval officer. Um, and after that I kind of discovered design when during some of the weekends I was reading some books about product design and furniture design and I decided that that was the, the career I wanted to, to go into uh, and I basically had to find a way to, to do it because um, it was not possible to study design at that time if you were a professional naval officer yeah. Because it wasn't one of the approved uh, subjects or courses. So then I had to go to my officer to ask to, um, to break the contract. And it was, it was quite difficult and, and uh, I had to really fight to, to get what I you know, wanted to do um, or what I wanted to study. And I guess it also made me want uh, and, and value it more uh, after I managed to you know, uh, be released from my naval contract and be able to study industrial design. Yeah, that's quite a unique story. Uh, I'd love to know where the books came from. Did you just discover them accidentally or did somebody give you the books that you were reading? No, I just discovered them at the, at the National Library. I mean, I was looking for, for things to read, you know, during night duty uh, in the camp, uh, during my time on uh, during the off-duty uh, periods and I wanted to read something and so I went to the library and then I kind of looking at different sections of, of books and I somehow stumbled upon the design corner <laughs> and, and I borrowed like maybe eight books on design and I, I brought it to, to the naval camp and yeah I mean after I'm, I guess I was interested in artistic fields when I was young uh, because my mom is, a, is an art teacher uh, but during my teens or during my early adolescence I, I kind of lost touch with that completely um, and then yeah during my military service I, I kind of really got back into that but I had no training or any background or portfolio 
So when I applied to the design school, I actually got in. There was a kind of aptitude test and yeah, and I managed to, to get a place. And that's when I realized that actually I couldn't study industrial design because it wasn't one of the approved uh, courses uh, that the Navy allowed us to study. Mm, interesting. So where did you end up studying then in the end? Uh, yeah, I, I managed to study industrial design at the National University. Oh, at the after, National University. Uh, you know, yeah, of Singapore after being uh, released from my Navy contract. Wow, you really fought for it then. Did you end up working anywhere, uh, you know, after you graduated? Did you have a job somewhere in between, you know, everything that you're doing now? I mean, you've been incredibly prolific, actually, co-founding Out of Stock and then Gabriel Tan Studio. Did you have a job working for another industrial designer in those intervening years? Um, I did an internship at Fitch Design right after... Oh, sorry. I did an internship at Luna Design in San Francisco. Uh, right after I finished my university studies and um, after I came back to Singapore after this uh, internship I did some uh, contract work for Fitch Design in Singapore uh, for a couple of months and then I went uh, full on into my own practice which is out of stock design and also did a bit of teaching here and there as well yeah. Okay. But yeah, in general, I, I never really worked full time for an extended yeah for, for for anyone except for internships or contract contract work. Yeah. Wow. And you know, since you've uh, founded those particular studios, you've ended up designing furniture for you know household names like the Conran Shop and Design Within Reach. What what can you tell us? about how that came about? How do you go from, uh, you know, being a naval officer to designing for such big brands? Um, I guess it started out being, yeah, when we studied industrial design, we, we didn't really have a specialization or, or any knowledge, in, specific knowledge in furniture design, except for maybe one, one studio that we had. Um, so, my love for furniture design came about when I went to Kyo Design Week and Vietnam Design Week uh, during the third year of my studies. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, to win the Bombay Sapphire Martini Glass uh, Prize uh, and represented Singapore at both the Tokyo Design Week and Milan Design Week with, with my design and the exposure to to this international design circuit and as well as the world of furniture design made me really want to be involved in this field. And so I applied for a student exchange to the ICAL in, in Switzerland, which was getting starting to get known at the time and they accepted me. Um, and yeah, I was taught by Barbara Oscarby, I was taught by other great Swiss designers like Christophe Marchand um, and just being the exposure you know to be able to to travel to see the RCA graduation show uh, to be able to attend more Milan design weeks uh, during the, the time I was there encouraged me to to really pursue this path and then I exhibited at the Salon Satellite uh, 
uh, it's like a young designer show in Milan and I did that for three years together with um, my co-founders at Out of Stock Design which I met through a design competition uh, really got the journey started and the first brand to really show interest in our work at the time was uh, Linné Jose, uh, the French company and they produced a few of our designs in our early years um, and eventually it just yeah, one thing led to another and, and other brands uh, were interested to work with us we started to design for Blast Station, a, a Swedish brand um, and eventually when I decided to set up my own practice in 2016 I was already yeah, kind of had a bit of experience and a, a bit of context to be able to, to design for other clients and, and other brands as well so it was so it's a long journey, I guess, uh, mm. and also a cumulative one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you had any uh, exposure with Sir Terence Conran at all while you were designing for the Conran shop. No, unfortunately not. Yeah. I, I would have loved to have met him, but unfortunately I only, yeah, we're dealing with, with um, his team at Conran shop, but yeah, sometimes I would get feedback where, where they say that, yeah, Sir Terence saw, saw the products and he approved the designs and, and he really likes particular pieces. And yeah, I remember feedbacks like that from them, but I never had the chance to, to meet him yet. Mm, it's a shame. It's been obviously a great loss losing him this year. Um, but I'm sure very flattering for you to hear uh, feedback like that from such a design icon. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, I think what I find interesting about you is that you're, you don't seem to limit yourself uh, to just designing product. I feel like you're also, you know, a bit of a, um, a maverick in terms of creating brands or at least um, promoting brands and being the creative director and, or the brand ambassador, I suppose, is maybe different ways of describing it. And I'm, I'm referring specifically to brands like Ariake and um, Turn with the hardware and now Origin Made. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that all came about? I presume Ariake would have been the first uh, brand that you became creative director for, is that correct? Yes, um, Ariake was the first. Um, I Actually, I mean, what happened was when I first started my own studio, uh, after... Um, collaborating with Out of Stock for nine years. Uh, in 2016, I started my, my own Gable Tan studio. Um, Araki was kind of my first client. Uh, I met them at the Singapore International Furniture Fair. And I was kind of curious, like, why was you know, this Japanese brand showing here? Because most of the time, you know, we get exhibitors at the Singapore Fair from, from Southeast Asia. Uh, and generally the the price points as well of the exhibitors are, are quite affordable um, so they were kind of out of place in a way with their with their price points as well as uh, with with their type of furniture it wasn't it, it stuck out a little bit like a sore thumb in some ways and uh, so i spoke to them and I, I tried to understand you know why where they're from and what is the history of the companies and it was actually uh, two companies that were, were exhibiting together, uh, Hirata Chair that produces chairs, uh, and Legna Tech, which is a cabinet and table manufacturing factory. Um, and both of them are based in Saga, south of Japan. 
And uh, I also didn't know that there was a furniture production hub in, in that area because uh, in Japan it's like the, the well-known furniture production hubs are Asahikawa in Hokkaido and maybe Gifu as well, yeah, um, Hiroshima as well. Um, but I think furniture from the south of Japan is not so well-known, at least internationally. And um, so I, I had good conversation with them and we kept in touch and eventually they invited me uh, to visit them in Japan. And they said, uh, why don't you come and visit our factory and maybe we can start a project together. Um, so I went there uh, a few months after meeting them for the first time and uh, they hosted me and they showed me around their factories and they said that they would like to have a collection for the Singapore market for the following year, uh, designed by myself for the two brands. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of slept on it. And, you know, the next day when I had the, the final meeting with them before leaving the, the factory, I, before leaving Japan, I, I told them that, what do you think if we, if we do something bigger, uh, whereby we create a, a kind of co-brand that the two of you can own, uh, as well as invite more designers to, to create a larger collection rather than just to have maybe five or six new pieces for myself. We can have a collection of 20 or more pieces and we try to export to other countries other than Singapore, um, but target the global market instead. And they were a little bit, you know, shell-shocked by the suggestion at the beginning. Uh, but they were asking me, okay, like, you know, are you able to to do it within a certain amount of budget. They, they told me what is the budget they had for the year uh, for this. Uh, if they were to give all, allocate all this budget to me, is it doable? And then I, um, I mean, it was not a, it was not a big budget, uh, obviously, but I, I accepted it. I said, okay, I, I will make it work and I think I can do it. Uh, so I, I then started to, to call um, different design, uh, a few designers that I knew, uh, as well as a, a graphic designer from Switzerland that I met back during my ICAL days um, that I still kept in touch with. And I knew that she was doing good work, you know, for the Bro Like Brothers and, and Samsung and also other design-related brands. So then we kind of formed like a, a little team and traveled to Japan together subsequently to where for the first uh, Araki design workshop where we designed the first products as well as made the branding together uh, in Japan. And I think, yeah, I mean, uh, it all happened very organically in a way. Uh, and that was the beauty of it. And, you know, when we, when the designer said yes to me at the time, we didn't even have a name for the brand. Uh, I called uh, yeah, Stefan Holm, Anderson and Vol and Keiji Ashisawa uh, during my last day in Japan and I asked them, okay, like, you know, I'm at a factory in Japan, I think there's some interesting possibilities uh, and we're going to start a new brand and are you guys in if we bring you to, to Saga for a design workshop, all of us together? And they, yeah, they pretty much immediately said yes. Um, Anderson and Vol, interestingly, they declined in the beginning because they said, you know, they were really busy and one of them was going to be a father. But then a few days later, they wrote back to me and said, okay, like, 
we really want to be a part of it and we'll make time. Um, so yeah, in, in the end, um, during the workshop, we, we came out with the name Ariake. Uh, we decided on the logo types and, and the, the graphical identity as well. The graphic designer was basically working next to us at the same time when we were designing the furniture. So we, we could give her feedback as well on the branding. So yeah, everything was kind of happening all at the same time during that seven days uh, or, or six days. And it was very intensive. Uh, but of course, we also had you know time to enjoy some uh, Japanese food and sake and some architectural uh, site visits as well for inspiration. And yeah, but it was also a lot of, of hard work here. Yeah, it's such a great story though, and I you know I ho- hope that you feel like it's paid off. I, I see the brand present uh, quite internationally. It's it's a remarkable story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, I always found a little bit frustrating with product development. I think it was always very unilateral in a way with with companies, like the way it is structured. Often, you you see a, a collection of products that are developed individually by a company with individual designers, and sometimes not all of it goes well together. Um, so that was why, you know, when when we were when I was setting up the Ariake collaborations, I thought that it would be a good idea to have all the designers come at the same time to develop the products together. And also it was very nice that we could give feedback as well to each within the designers to to kind of mutually critique or to help improve each other's designs. And sometimes one of the designers would get stuck or, you know, uh, with a certain design or detailing and another designer could jump in with a sketch to say maybe you could solve it in this way uh, or maybe you could try something else and it was yeah I mean it was very free and open discussion and nobody really cared whether you were more famous than me or I was more established than you and it was just very open to to mutual critique and feedback and I think that that openness and that conversations really made the collection go well together as well. You know? Because mm. we, we would know if, if somebody was doing something that was really not in line with, with the rest of the team, that person would be a bit self-conscious and also the rest would, uh, we would know immediately and, and then we can kind of align it or, or address this. But so far, I mean, we, we, we didn't have any problems with, uh, yeah, with something like that and everybody just seemed to design things that were very uh, cohesive and, and aligned with each other. Maybe because we were also inspired by the same environment uh, and having the same experiences at the same uh, place. Yeah, mm, yeah I, I wonder. I mean, it's quite a unique situation. I've never really heard of that happening before. Um, it's, yeah, and it, it, I think it does look very coherent. It's a beautiful collection, so congratulations. Um, I wanted to talk to you also about Origin Made. Um, it's, you know, um, a new brand f- uh, that I would love to have you talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Um, we obviously have started selling a number of the pieces on our website and I know our entire team is completely obsessed with the focal candle holder. <laughs> um, but we should talk about the whole collection. So do you want to tell us about how that came about? I read that you went to Portugal on holiday 
and discovered some craft and, you know, do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, yes, I, I, I do. Um, I actually went to Portugal in 2014 for the first time and um, I visited several factories as part of my vacation. Um, and it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of fascinating for me like to see a country that is um, maybe a bit under the radar, especially to us in Singapore and to discover that you have both uh, small-scale and large-scale production here. I didn't realize that IKEA was also producing here and also many of the well-known brands uh, from Scandinavia. Uh, and some Italian brands were also producing here. So when I, when I, and also of course I was amazed by the landscapes and, and the culture and the people. Um, and I came here without knowing anyone and I, I contacted a few designers asking to meet them, Portuguese designers like Hui Alves, uh, Hugo Passos, uh, Christian Haas, who's a German designer based here. And yeah, they were very open with, with uh, you know, arranging visits for me to their craft contacts and also bringing me to, to visit various workshops and introducing me to, to their friends. And then I thought, okay, maybe the, something could interesting could be done here you know I, I saw that there wasn't uh, many internationally known like Portuguese brands uh, that are kind of telling the story of where the products are made uh, many brands produce here but actually you know put a label of, of another culture or, or brand on it and, and I felt it was a bit of a shame for that and so I thought okay maybe it's it's a time to create a, a brand about where the products are made uh, and that's why the, the name Origin came about and also I like the idea of like, you know, producing all things within a certain radius, you know, of a city. So most of our products are made like, you know, within an hour drive from Porto, except for the glass pieces, which is maybe uh, two hours drive. Yeah. But everything else is, is made like really close to Porto and uh, also, it's, it's easy for us to, to control the, the product development in that way. Um, and also, I try to introduce like Portuguese designers as well to collaborate with, uh, with this brand that I set up. So that it was not just about bringing international designers to Portugal, but also about yeah, um, promoting the talented designers of Portugal as well. I didn't want to design everything myself. Uh, because I thought it, it was not so interesting if, you know, it was just all about me and the craftsmen of Portugal. But I thought it would be a nice thing as well, you know, to, to bring in other designers to, to collaborate with the craftsmen here. And the other thing I wanted to address was um, giving credit to the craftsmen. Because I, I know I've seen that many brands, you know, they, they tell a lot of stories about the designers and their whole design process. but in some ways, you know, we are, us as designers, we are a bit like imposters as well because we are only responsible for half or maybe less than half of the product. Uh, we, we come up with the sketch or maybe the, the 3D or sometimes we make some early prototypes, but at the end without um, the craftsmen or the people who are running the factories with, with uh, mass production knowledge or, or small, small batch production knowledge, the product will never be able to be realized. Um, so I felt that it's a shame that 
the consumer only sees the name of you know a person that was responsible for 30 to 50 percent of the product but not the entire the, the credit is not entirely uh, given to all the people involved in, in the process mm, so yeah. that was why for each origin product we always have the name of the craftspeople that are working on it or the factory owner uh, as well as the as well as the designer yeah i really like that i think um you know, today consumers are, um, you know, much more, I guess, discerning about where they spend their money. And I think having a name attached to something um, of the person that made it as well as the designer really adds a sense of humanity and, the, and human touch. And, you know, you, I, I particularly feel like I'm sort of buying, I, I feel more like I'm buying something that someone has actually made rather than coming off a, a mass production line. And I think it's a really nice touch. So, um, and you've actually just recently relocated to Porto. Um, how's that all been? I mean, this year has been so turbulent already as it is. <laughs> and you've, you've um, you know, relocated to the, almost the other side of the world in the midst of that. How has that all been for you? Yeah, actually, so ever since I started Origin, I've been planning this relocation because I, I wanted to, um, I mean, one is for Origin, you know, to, to grow the brand and to control more the production. Uh, the other aspect is I wanted to work more uh, with, brands in Europe as well. I mean, I, I am really working with, with a couple of them, but I wanted to grow my, uh, my furniture design portfolio and design for other brands that I, I like in Europe. And I felt that it was really necessary to be based here, um, to be able to, to travel, to meet clients on a regular basis or to visit factories of the clients or potential clients. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a turbulent time to move for sure. I, I wanted to move last year, but somehow it got postponed to spring this year, and then because of Corona, it got postponed again, uh, and I finally moved like uh, in August. And but I, I don't regret my decision at all, and uh, I think that um, yeah, in times of chaos and turbulence, there's always more opportunities, I guess. Mm. Um, and and we we have I mean. I've been preparing for this uh, together with my family for for a while, so we are not we are not faced by it at all. Yeah, that's good to hear. It's such a charming city, but uh, I imagine you must be the only Singaporean in Porto, though. <laughs> or am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, so far I haven't met any other Singaporeans. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it's nice to meet people from different walks of life, but yeah, I hope you settle in. It's it really is a very charming city. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said before, you've you've been quite prolific for someone that's still, you know, quite young. Obviously, with all of the product design work that you've done on the, under multiple studios that you've founded or co-founded, and then the work that you've done for other brands. But you also have the interiors arm of what you do, and we just published one of your projects in our latest issue of the magazine. Um, how on earth do you find time for all of this as well as a family? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a support of a, of a small but, but good team, of course. Um, and uh, I try to be as involved as I can in, in every project I do. But I believe also as well to give 
uh, yeah, to give voice to, to the people that, that work in the studio, you know, I, I don't necessarily uh, have to be initiating and directing and micromanaging every single project. Uh, but I, I try to work with the best of each individual person's talents that, that come through the studio or are working in the studio. And I kind of act as the kind of conductor as well, uh, that creative directs all the projects that leaves the studio. Um, yeah, many of the, the furniture projects are initiated by me in terms of the ideas, but, of, but uh, we often have, yeah, more, it's more than just me working on a project at, at one time. Um, so we, we operate as a kind of a very lean and small team, but I think every project that, that leaves the studio is, is the result of a team effort. Mm. And uh, if not, yeah, I, I wouldn't have had any time to sleep, I guess, <laughs> if I were to do everything all by myself. Yeah, I'm sure that would be impossible. I'm just sitting here listening to this and, and it sounds to me like you must have really good leadership skills and I'm, I'm curious to know whether you think that may have come from your military experience. Uh, not really, I guess my... I think the key influence to, to any, any leadership skills, if I do have any, is from my father. Uh, you know, just observing him interact with people and how he... Uh, he, people tend to gravitate around him and, and how he is always surrounded by, by genuine people uh, who have became friends of the family but are also um, people he worked with that kind of set a, a good role model for my own life where I want to surround myself with, with people that I care about and who care about me and that I can work together with as well both professionally and, and in my personal life. Um, and in that way, I view that, yeah, uh, the boundaries between the professional and personal life is, is very blurred and I kind of embrace that rather than, rather than being resentful about that. And I think that has made the difference uh, to me. Um, I guess early on in my career, I tried to separate like, okay, like work and life. Uh, and that caused some tensions in my personal life and, you know, made me in some way think, okay, am I having the right work-life balance? But then the moment I switched my mindset and, and accepted that, yeah, the professional and personal life is very intermingled and impossible to kind of separate and to embrace that. You know, like how I visit factories as part of my vacation. Um, I can identify with yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe I need to learn from you. <laughs> yeah, and even my, my wife and my child has visited factories on their vacations with me. And, and my son actually really likes to visit factories, even though he's only f uh, five years old. Oh, that's really sweet. Uh, he is. So, yeah, I mean, th there were times when I when I sent him photos of a factory that I was in in China and when he saw the image of it, he cried because he said, why, why didn't daddy bring me to that factory? Oh. You know? <laughs> wow, maybe we have a budding designer on our hands. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So do you think you got your entrepreneurial spirit from your father as well or did that come from somewhere else? Uh, I mean, my father wasn't an entrepreneur, he was actually a, a banker, but um, the way that he operated his, 
his setup was, yeah, I guess almost, almost a little bit like an entrepreneur. I mean, back in those days, the bankers had a lot of autonomy and they could make a lot of decisions. Um, and he, he could build a team around him and, and hire, the, hire people that, that he wanted uh, to be in his team. Um, and he shared a lot of, of his, his work and, and his, his thoughts and his interactions with his colleagues with me. I mean, he brought me along with many of his company trips and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, in that sense, he was also intermingling like his professional life with personal, you know. I, I used to hang out in his office a lot after school. Um, so, in that sense, yeah, he, he was an influence on that, but he wasn't really a, a entrepreneur in, in that way. But he, he did encourage me to think about, you know, um, starting my own business if I had the right ideas or, or the right appetite for it. And also he, he encouraged me to say, okay, if you want to choose a very niche profession, like being a furniture designer, um, then you should be the best furniture designer uh, out there or try to be the best. If not, uh, you know, if not, then there would be no point here. Yeah then it's better to go into a mainstream profession where, where even the more mediocre people could still make a decent life out of it. Yeah. So he, he kind of told me about the risk, you know, if you want to choose a, a kind of very niche profession, this is what you need to do to be able to, to survive or succeed. Yeah. You really need to excel. If not, there's really no point to do it. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like good motivation. So my final question for you is what's next? What's on the drawing board at the moment that you're allowed to talk about? Or are you content to be setting up homes still in Porto and working on Origin Made? Um, well, I mean, we are developing um, still new collections for our existing clients. Um, and also I've been trying to work with uh, more brands in Italy. Uh, and I've been spending some time in, in Milan and other parts of Italy as well, uh, visiting them, visiting different potential clients. And hopefully in the next two years, you will see some of these uh, results uh, being shown on the market. Uh, yeah, so for Origin, we are still developing some new products and we are trying to, to do an exhibition next year in New York. Uh, of course, we have to see what is the right timing for this, but we are, yeah, works are underway to, to plan our next show in New York. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are definitely not resting. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. The times. <laughs> Keeping <Yeah>. very busy. <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting and I, I look forward to seeing what's new and what's next and hopefully an opportunity to catch up again in real life sometime in the near future. Yeah, sure, it'd be a pleasure. Be it in Porto or in Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, thanks so much, Gabriel. It's been great catching up and uh, yeah, take care and enjoy, enjoy the port wine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, yeah, you too.